All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for giving us this family that we can love and laugh together, that we can fellowship together. Father, thank you for pristine moments like this in time where your love is just so evidenced by your grace, by your mercy, by just everything, Father, in our midst, among us, within us. So many wonderful things to be grateful for. We just pray that we continue to remain in this mindset, Father, that we continue to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks for everything, for that is your will. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this morning that earnestly do desire to be here. We pray for those still lost in this world, that they repent, receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this of rejoicing, a time to just grab, grab hold of, Father, cling to with all that we are. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 40, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Uh, we began Thursday's message with a common theme, and most of this morning's message is going to run on the topic of this theme. At the very end, if I've got time, we'll get back to Proverbs 17 proper, but the Spirit has an awful lot to say about seeing God. What does it mean to, quote, see God? We noted it in a couple of different passages. Uh, as believers, we've concluded that we see Him as fruit of being pure in heart. And it's something Jesus stated in Matthew 5.8. We see him as fruit of being pure in heart. That's something he stated very clearly in Matthew 5.8. However, we also noted that others, even unbelievers, can see him through our witness. Others can see him through our witness. Go to Hebrews 12.14. Hebrews 12, 14. And so we're going to spend some time on this aspect this morning. Okay? How others see him through us as our witness that brings glory to him. Hebrews 12, 14. So we're going to spend some time on this. Hebrews 12, 14. <clears throat> Reads... Strive for peace. Now, we're going to have one of the mainstays of this morning's message is the topic of peace. Okay, so keep peace at the front of your mind. Strive for that thing, peace, with everyone. And for the holiness, right? Holiness implies sanctified, being set apart for God. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord without this holiness being evidenced. Up here on the board, McDonald, we grabbed from him, Hebrews 12, 14. What this verse means is that there must be a practical holiness. 
as a proof of the new life within. If a person is not growing more holy, he is not saved. When the Holy Spirit indwells a person, he manifests his presence by a separated life. That's what holiness means. It means to be separated for God's purposes. He takes you from here and puts you over here and says, you're no longer under the sovereignty of sin. You're now under my sovereignty, and I'm setting you apart for me, for my purposes, to bring glory to me. No longer are you going to try to bring glory to self. No longer is it going to be about self-righteousness. It's going to be about Christ-righteousness. So when the Holy Spirit indwells a person, he manifests his presence by a separated life. It is a matter of cause and effect. If Christ has been received, the rivers of living water will flow. And that's what McDonald has to say on Hebrews 12, 14. I liked it, so I'm quoting it. Again, look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And that's the ultimate goal. If you think about that, peace, maybe after love, right? Peace is the ultimate goal of sanctification. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So as we've noted in the past, this godly peace, it seems to take center stage for we believers. It takes this peace that the Bible speaks of, this godly peace, it takes center stage in the Bible for we believers. I'd go as, you know, as far to say that after love, peace is the ultimate prize of sanctification. It is the ultimate, surprise, uh, uh, the ultimate prize uh, after sanctification, peace. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We'll see this in Holy Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. What about this peace? What about being in the sphere of God? 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So we seek, right out of the gate this morning, the, the Spirit saying, seek this peace with everyone. Make it a part of who you are. Right? That's the encouragement. Be at peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace. You see, he's not just called, he says, it's, it's, he's called the God of peace. In other words, he has all rights to peace itself. So if we're going to find peace, where are we going to find it? We're going to find it with him. If we're going to see peace, where are we going to see it? We're going to see it in him. And that echoes of uh, five, Matthew 5.8. So now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Again, look at now the may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. In other words, your sanctification is guaranteed, to McDonald's point. If you're saved, you will be sanctified. It's not a matter of if or, you know, it's, it's just you will. To assume or presume otherwise would be to call God impotent, incapable of fulfilling his own promises. He will surely do it, and he is the God of peace. And you see the close proximity of peace and sanctification there. 
So the God of peace is a very telling phrase, implying that to abide in the sphere of God is to abide in peace. Again, if we're going to find peace, if we're going to seek peace, if we're going to seek to be at peace with everyone, for as long as it depends on us, be at peace with all men, as Paul wrote, um, we, have to, we have to get there in the sphere of God. We have to experientially get there in the sphere of God. So along those lines, Holy Scripture states that peace is also a definite uh, fruit of the Spirit. Go to Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22. We're just stringing this together. Most of you know all this already, but it's good to put it at the forefront of our mind as we dig in. Uh, you're going to need it all for this message. Okay, You're going to need it all for this message. So Holy Scripture states that peace is a definite fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, our fruit then, now think about at the beginning of this message where others can now see our witness. Others see what? Is a witness a thing you can see? Eh, I guess we might see fruit in another person. So our fruit becomes our witness for Jesus Christ. Allah Hebrews 12, 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So this fruit, this peace, for example, becomes our witness. If you have peace, others take notice. That's the point. And God wants the glory. God deserves the glory. God rightfully asks for the glory. Um, here's the counsel we received from the Spirit last time up here on the board. Words are not enough. Now, this is where it, you're going to have to start digging in. Okay? So we have the base principles on the table. Words are not enough without which no one will see the Lord. Oh, you mean you can just walk up to somebody at Cumberland Farms, let's say, and say, did you know I have peace? I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It's not this. It's this. If you have peace, then let me see it. Let me see what peace looks like in your life. Instead of you just talking the talk, wearing the T-shirts and the you know, the necklaces and saying, I love Jesus and I have peace and all. Instead of all that garbage, instead of just talking the talk, how about you just walk the walk? How about you walk by means of the Spirit? How about that? How about there's an actual activity? How about there's act an actual witness for peace itself, for love itself? Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, the world's going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. Not if you say you love one another, if you love one another. This, those are two different things. So again, words are not enough. And the world's watching. So this is a topic that this week's blog discusses in great detail. Up here on the board, we had a guest blogger called The Repentant Heart. Again, words aren't enough. That was in that blog as well. That words aren't enough. It's, and then the blog specifically, it was, you know, it's not enough just to agree with God, right? Hey, yeah, look at that. I'm in, I'm in bed with my sin. <laughs> I'm not going to kick it out. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to stay here. 
And like, you know, yep, I see, yeah, you see it. I see it too, God. Isn't that awesome? You know, see ya. There's a big difference. So concentrate. A little bit more added to the mix this morning. Got a big old bowl. Going to mix some doctrines up, right? Told you it's going to take some concentration. We live in God's economy. That's a fact. That's a, that's a principle we've established for years now. We live in God's economy. In God's economy, grace is the currency. Nothing moves, in other words. Nothing's exchanged without grace being the motivating factor, the, the, the substance, the currency. What's traded in that economy. So we live in God's economy. In God's economy, grace is the currency. And as we just alluded to, God's grace is always efficacious. Efficacious just is a big theological word that means it's effective. It's always effective. It gets the job done. That's what efficacious means, right? So God's grace is always efficacious, meaning it never fails. The only time grace fails is when it isn't from God. And grace should be in quotes there. The only time, quote, grace fails is when it isn't from God. Here's a perfect example, especially in America. I'm so graced out by God, I got a new house. Or I got a new car. Or I got a new set of pumps. Or I got a new haircut. Why aren't you happy then? Why hasn't that thing made you happy magically? I don't know. You, you can answer that for yourself. The only time grace fails is when it isn't from God. Because otherwise it's perfectly efficacious. It always hits its mark. Otherwise, God would be, what, a, a bad shop shooter? Not good at making ends meet in his own economy? Mm -mm. But, you know, in this world, to be fair, uh, it seems enough to simply, you know, say something is true. It seems, you know, I, I hear a lot of people that I swear they say stuff to convince themselves. You know, you know that, what I'm talking about? They say stuff. Oh, no, they say things to convince themselves. <laughs> As if what's coming out of their mouth, I don't know, makes, seals the deal. A lot of people do that game, and it's no good. It's no good. It's just futility. In this world, it seems enough to simply say something is true. Do not fall prey to this kind of errant thinking. God's grace never fails. Now, Regarding our opening topic, you know, witnessing to others, that's on the front and center here. This means that if it's God's grace, you will be a witness. If it's God's grace, you will be a witness. In other words, if God has given you his peace, you will be a witness for that peace. But if it's some counterfeit, if it's not from the grace of God, if it's just you doing this to try to convince yourself, 
Others don't see God in it. They see right past it. So concentrate. You don't seek gaining approval from others. You seek God's grace. It's not lip service. It's Look, how do I say this? You don't focus on trying to prove to yourself or others that you're at peace. You let that happen on its own. You seek something else. You don't seek to prove to yourself or others of X, Y, Z. You seek God and let Him sanctify you. Let let Him do that thing by grace. So in other words, you're actually seeking God's grace. And while you're looking at God, others are looking at you. And they're witnessing. Witnessing is not about you going like a cheerleader. Witnessing is actually following Jesus Christ's example. It's actually seeking the grace of God. And as your focus is on Him, people see you. If your eyes divert from Him and towards self or others, what do they see? They don't see you following Him anymore. They see you following you. They see you trying to establish self-righteousness. See, I've got peace without even following God. I've got blessings without even following God. Look at me. All of a sudden it becomes about you. And people are like, I can see that. I can see right through that. You're just like my unbeliever neighbor. It's all about you. It's, you're just this egocentric person who, who claims they follow God, but they're really just following self all over again. It's always about you. That's not the witness because it's not from the grace of God that you're acting like that, that you're being like that. So we don't seek gaining approval from others. We seek God's grace. Let the rest happen. I hope you see the difference. Go to uh, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. There's too many people. This entire world tells you to, to, you know, I mean, this is social media to the nines, right? It's all about, everybody's got an avatar, right? Facebook. Is anybody actually genuine on Facebook or Instagram? No, I mean really. Is anybody actually genuine? Or is it just a show? Is it just a, a, a building up of an avatar? This is what I want the world to look at me when they think about me. It's this avatar. And, I, and I, every, you know, every morning over coffee, I go in there and I, you know, I touch it up and, you know, I, and I tell everybody how I went on vacation or I got you know, photos of the weekend. And you know, it's all this perfect little avatar. And I just, I just want to make sure that everybody thinks I'm better than them. I just, want to have, I just want to build up this little avatar, right? That's social media. The world tells you to focus on self. It's all about you. Prop yourself up. Prop your reputation up. Prop your little lies up, your little lip service, right? That whole thing, that's social media. It, it starts off benign and it starts off all innocent. Oh, let's just get together and we can share photos. Yeah, how long does that last? Six weeks? Then it's like, well, my photo's better than yours. All of a sudden, things get ugly. And you start getting nasty. And then, God forbid, you talk about politics. My goodness. People are about ready to kill each other. For real. It's like, come on, man. What about Hebrews 1.3? Jesus Christ controls history. Last time I checked, what are you all scrapping about? Get over yourselves. Because, you know, it's about them. 
Identity politics. I wrote a blog on that, right? People get into identity politics. It's like, come on, get over yourself. Who's this about? It has nothing to do with the president or anybody else. It has everything to do with you. Anyways, I digress. Right? Hebrews 4.16. <clears throat> Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. If grace is the only way it happens, then let us do everything we can to draw near to that thing, to the source of grace, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, we draw near to find grace. We draw near to God to find grace. You see the, the, do you see the economy there? It's just, you, get, you go to Him for grace. You focus on seeking grace. Let the rest, let your witness even, work itself out publicly. You focus on Him. To hell with what people think about you. It's not what others think, it's about what Christ thinks of you. Right? Christ is the same guy who said, you know what? You love me, the world's going to hate you. Turn that around. If the world loves you right now, mm, what do you say then? If everybody loves you in this world, and the world's filled with a bunch of unbelievers, what does that say about Jesus Christ's words when he said, if you love me, they're going to, the world's going to hate you because they hated me first. Maybe, just maybe, you're not being a very good witness for him. Maybe, just maybe, they love you because they don't see any of him in you, in your activity. Maybe, just maybe, sadly, you might not even be saved. That's what the Spirit's saying, right? This is the economy. So draw near to find grace. When you find grace, then your life becomes a testimony to that grace. To this peace, to his peace. Even to unbelievers. That's the beautiful thing. Even to unbelievers. Some of you might be saying, you know, man, I'm here this morning and the sun's out and I just survived, I just survived an earthquake. Right? Just so blessed. And I'm filled with the Spirit, and I believe that happens. Honestly, I really do. That's what's special about a chapel, right? I think you're almost hyper-filled with the Spirit because you're concentrating, you're fellowship, you're, everybody's in this. And so you might be saying, I so want that peace. And, and in this moment, it's true. You do want that peace. And, 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 and I'd love to be used as a witness for the one who saved me. And right now, that's exactly what you're saying. And you're not even lying. You're actually telling the truth. But then you continue, you know, and you say, but I'm stuck right now. I want these things. I want peace. I'd love to be an instrument of righteousness to bring glory to God, but I'm stuck. And I'm not sure how to proceed, right? I'm on... I'm on the train of life, and my train's doing about 70 miles an hour right now, and it's really hard to jump off. I'm kind of scared. I'm going to leave a lot of stuff behind. Uh, you know the whole game. Here's how you overcome that. 
starting with the words of Jesus up here on the board. Matthew 6, 8, part B, up here on the board. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So you're kind of scared, and God's like, I already know what you need, just ask me. But ask in humility. Don't ask for false, you know, garbage, and don't ask for some kind of grace that you think is grace, but it's really not grace. Don't ask for blessings that are going to hurt you. Don't ask for so-called blessings that are going to keep you on that train, keep you stuck, keep you slotted into that lifestyle that has taken you so far in your own self-misery. Get off that thing. I already know what you need. You just don't ask me. And then if you do ask me, if you're having a moment of clarity, say in church like this, you're having a moment of clarity, when I tell you to your face, you go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. You reject what I tell you. Here's the interesting thing about God's omniscience. Again, he already knows what you need. You don't necessarily. At least not until you go to him fervently and humbly in prayer to learn what he already knows. So that's, again, back to this this idea of an economy, this idea of sanctification. How does God work in us? He already knows what we need. We desperately need his grace. He already knows that. But you don't know it, you don't learn it until you go to him humbly in prayer to learn what he already knows. If you earnestly desire his peace, who here doesn't want his peace? I do. Who doesn't want that peace to emanate outward so others can see Christ in me? I do. So if you earnestly desire his peace, then go to him. Isn't that, doesn't that just sound almost too simple? It does. It almost sounds too simple, right? But that's the beauty of, of our God. He's made it very simple for us to find grace. Draw near to find grace. So if you earnestly desire his peace, then go to him and do not wait another moment. Maybe today's that, that moment, that defining moment in your life where you say, you know, I'm just fed up. I'm tired of the rat race. I'm tired of being on this train, this locomotive that's not heading towards Christ. Every time I, I live life, I feel like I'm being pulled away from him. Everything in my life takes me away from him. All the so-called blessings in my life, the counterfeit grace even, the counterfeit peace, even though I keep telling myself it's all real, it all takes me away from him. Don't wait another moment. And if you're saying, but I have gone to him and nothing's changed. I have gone. I keep going to him. Well, you know what? Go to him again. Maybe your heart's not really in it. Maybe he just wants to see, are you, are, you, are you serious about this, my child? Or are you just playing games again? Are you just going to, if I just wait a little bit longer with you, my child, are you going to go whore around with Satan again? Because I haven't fulfilled your desires on your timeline. Let's see. How about I put you to the test a little bit longer? 
Oh, you see that? Tomorrow you're going to say, screw you, God. I'm out of here. You haven't fulfilled what I've been praying for. I'm, I'm going to go shack up with Satan. Sayonara. Who hasn't done that? Everybody in here has done that. Every single one of you, including myself. Is it grotesque language? Yeah. On a Sunday morning? I guess. But what's more grotesque? Screw you, God, or what you actually do? Honestly, what's worse? So just going back, you say, but I have gone to him and nothing's changed. Then go to him again. What do you think the parable of the persistent friend is all about? Go to Luke 11, 5. Luke 11, verse 5. Some of you are like, I would never say that to God. No, you would just do it to him. And, you know, and persist in your lip service that you're such a swell old chap. As he would say, right? Your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. Right? You don't have to say strong language. God's watching. God sees your heart. God says, you know that's a sin, right? You know you're about to adulterate on my son, whom I sent to save your butt. Yep. Man, I've been in bed with this sin for years. Luke 11:5. You want to be changed? How about this? And he said to them, "Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, "Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him." And he will answer from within, "Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything." I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs, his persistence, in other words. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's the fruit of the Spirit, the third one listed? Peace. When you get the Spirit, you get your peace. Apparently, Jesus put a premium, though, on persistence. Oh, but I have tried. You ready? Here's the violin. Oh, but I've tried. I, I have been praying. Really? You've been praying from the dining car, the cafe car, and the locomotive of life while you sip your cappuccino. You give God a little moment. God, can you, God, can you help me off this thing sometime? Okay, I'll be right here, my little... You know, sipping cappuccinos with my unbeliever friends, right? Thinking like them. Uh, Jesus Christ puts a premium on persistence, which is why when I look out, uh, you know, 
I look at you all today, and there's some people that aren't here this morning, but you are. You know what that is? Persistence. Persistence. You're here. I mean, you're doing it. Right? Amen? Yeah, I mean, you're here. That's a good thing. See, that's called confession. You just confessed a good thing. It's not, confession's not always bad. It's just saying the same thing. So, but anyways, apparently Jesus Christ puts a premium on persistence. Now, let's get back to the point. Again, we live in God's economy. He sets the rules regarding receiving his grace. In other words, for example, his peace. He sets the rules. You don't get to lip service your way into it. Just like a person who says, oh, I'm saved. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. It's all lip service. Until something's actually changed in them. Until they have what, Scott? Fruit. That's what he meant to say. Right? Until they have fruit. Listen, there's no such thing as a believer without fruit. That would mean God is impotent. He cannot do what he says he will do. He can't do what he's promised to do. That a good tree can't bear good fruit, doesn't bear good fruit. That it still somehow bears bad fruit. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. He said a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So if you're supposedly a good tree bearing bad fruit, what would you say? What would Jesus say? He'd say you're not saved. It's that simple. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. And I'm talking about habit, of course, right? Anyways, we live in God's economy. He makes the rules, and he's omniscient. Up here, uh, yeah, still up here on the board. Matthew 6, 8, part B. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So, keep concentrating. If God already knows what we need, and note it's needs here, not wants. If God already knows what we need, why doesn't he just give it to us? Why didn't you just give it to us then? <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't that make witnessing for him a lot easier? If the ultimate goal is to bring glory to him, why does he just give us stuff? Be like, hey, run around, show the world, you know, what I've given you. Well, there are a lot of reasons, but here, here's a couple to chew on. You ready? You have to go through the process of arriving at truth. It can't just be given to you because it won't be your conclusion, nor your conviction. We're not robots. Okay? You have to go through the process of arriving at truth. It can't just be given to you because it won't be your conclusion. It won't be your conviction. Number two, you'd likely reject the truth in the absence of step one, in preference of your own ideas. You, wouldn't, you don't even want the truth until you're convicted of it. Does that make sense? You have to go through the process, in other words. Otherwise, you reject it. I hope you see the dynamic here in God's economy. Visualize something for a moment and keep in mind our primary topic, which has been witnessing to others who are watching all of this going on in our lives. Isn't that what we read about? Right? The rock 
never moves. Capital R. The rock never moves. The truth is immutable. It means it never changes. The objective in sanctification is that we move towards Him. That, my friends, is precisely what we need always. What we need is not a bigger car. What we need is not more stuff. What we need is not a better job. What we need is to move towards Him. That's what we need. That's what grace looks like. Do you remember Solomon? He said, I just want to know the truth. God, give me wisdom. He said, because you asked for the right thing, I'll also make you super wealthy. And then I'll put you to the test and you'll write a book called Ecclesiastes, this whole thing. Right? I'll give you all kinds of wisdom. You don't need all these things you say you need. What you need is to get the hell off of that train. Because what's keeping you on that train is all the things that you say you need. But you won't accept the one simple thing. That you need Him. You need His sanctification. You need His grace. Grace isn't something you add like, uh, like uh, frosting on a cake. Do you follow what I'm getting at? Grace isn't like the frosting on the cake. It's not like, oh man, look at all I've done in my life and I get the grace of God as frosting. No, 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 no. no. That's bass ackwards. Do you understand? That's wrong thinking. First fruit, anybody? He wants the very best of us. He doesn't want the leftovers. The objective of sanctification is that we move towards Him. That, my friends, is precisely what we need. We just don't always realize it, or we don't accept it, or we don't like it because our flesh is throwing a tantrum. So God says, ask me for wisdom to know the difference. Ask me then. If you're confused, if you're stuck, like we talked about earlier, if you're stuck, then go come to me. I will tell you, ask me for wisdom. So here's our conclusion on this little sidebar up here on the board. How sanctification works. God just doesn't just give us what we need automatically. Rather, he asks us to journey through the process of figuring out for ourselves. Do you understand? With his help, obviously, with the word of God. In doing so, we arrive at our own convictions, put away our fleshly tendency to reject his thoughts and his ways, and are sanctified. That's how sanctification works. He doesn't just do it. We take part in it. We have to arrive at our own convictions. We have to have our own wisdom, in other words. God doesn't say, here, here's, since I saved you, here's all my wisdom. No, because for us, it takes time for that thing to mature. That's how sanctification works. And here's the glorious result of being sanctified, which is tantamount to saying, being oriented to the mind of Christ. You ready? Go to John 15, 7. John 15, verse 7. John 15, 7. 
This is almost like uh, John 15, 7 and 8, honestly, is almost like a summary passage for sanctification in the most practical sense. Look at it. This is Jesus, right? If, do not let that little word go by. That's a big if. If, that's the operative word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You mean I can ask for a new car? You could. Probably not going to get it. <laughs> Unless you're Scott. Who gets deals on the side of the road somehow. Right? Hey, you gave all glory to God, right? He even named his car Grace. How cool is that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If your motivations are correct, if you're in fervent prayer, with, in fellowship with him, if you're oriented to God, that's what abiding means, right? If you're in it, if you're in the sphere of God, ask whatever you want. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples to the world. Ask whatever you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, it'll be done for you. It will. It'll be done for you. And by that, my Father is glorified. How amazing is that? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, you become a witness. Do you see it? That's like sanctification 101 in a nutshell. Out of the words, off the lips of Jesus Christ himself. So you want to know what sanctification looks like? This is it. Abide in me and let my word abide in you. Then you can ask whatever you want. Because what happened? <laughs> Listen, here's the, here's the disclaimer, right? Here's the, the qualifying if. says, if you abide in me. If my word abides in you. What do you do? What do you ask for? You ask for the very same things that bring glory to God, not glory to you. You're not going to ask for a car for the wrong reasons. You're going to ask for a car because it brings glory to him, not glory to you. Not so you can drive to work the next day and go, check it out, people. Anybody jelly? Anybody jealous? Look at my, look at my new house. Oh, are you jealous? Look at my, I don't know, what, I, what do people look at nowadays, right? I don't know. Look, look at my avatar. Look at me. My life is way better than yours. Therefore, I'm blessed. You see? Look at how much God loves me. Because look at, look at my avatar. That's not sanctification. That's a lie. That's garbage. Look at this again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, you're not going to ask for the wrong things if you're with God. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I hope you see it. Let me summarize if you're missing the point the Spirit's making here. It's important for you to do so before we move on in this message. 
you got to understand everything up until this point. And I did warn you, right? A lot of moving parts. Hopefully, I've done a decent enough job of bringing it together. How are we going to witness? Uh, we want peace, but we need His grace. We go to the throne of grace to find it. We draw near to Him to find grace in time of need. We want to be witnesses. If you abide in Christ's mind, your convictions match His. Then, when you do ask for something from God, it is by default. By default, aligned with His own desires for you. In other words, to meet your needs, not your wants. Your needs. What did I say you need? What did the Spirit say you need? You don't need all that stuff. You need His grace. You need to move towards Him. That's what you need. Stop saying you need other stuff. Christ said, He said, I have, I, I'm sustained by doing the will of God. That's what I need. I need to just do the will of God. That's my food. That's my sustenance. That should be your sustenance. That should be your food because that's what you need. You don't need any of those things we're all laughing about, right? The home, the car, the, the avatars. You don't need any of that stuff. As a matter of fact, those are the things that keep you on that locomotive that takes you away from God. You don't need any of it. You really don't. Hmm. So, when you do ask for something from God, by default, if your mind is with, if you have the mind of Christ, if you're abiding in His Word, then your, your asks, they're aligned with Him. And they are actually what you need. And you know what? He gives it to you. He gives it to you. If you ask for something you, you actually need, He gives it to you. And when that happens, God is glorified by the fruit that you bear. Because you know what happens when you realize what I just said? When you realize something simple was from God, that even the simplest thing, you light up. Right? We're the lights of the world. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be tasty, right? We're supposed to, that's what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter if you got a new house or you got this, right? If you believe it's from God, truly believe it's from God, and you asked and prayed for it in faith and He gave it to you, and you can actually attribute it to His grace, you light up and the rest of the world sees it. Speaking of. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's the little things, right? Hmm. God is glorified by the fruit that you bear. That, my friends, is a holistic viewpoint of God's economy in a nutshell. And that's how we're sanctified in it. Because we're sanctified by grace. And that, my friends, is how we become witnesses for others. Let's read it again. Verse 7. If, that's the operative word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
Draw near to God. Draw near to the throne of grace so that you can find it. Are you seeing a pattern here in the economy of God? I hope so. Stated differently, if you abide in the mind of Christ, God says he will grace you out. He will sanctify you so that you bear much fruit. And the whole world will see that you are a disciple of Jesus. So what is it that you should be asking for then? You answer that for yourself. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples up here on the board, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How beautiful is that? He says, I want to give you my, I want to give you my peace. It's yours for the taking. You're just maybe too busy, I don't know, trying to find it on a train. I don't know. When you are sanctified, you can go boldly to the throne of grace and ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. I can only teach that because that's exactly what's in the Bible. If it wasn't in the Bible, I could not teach it. But the Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus isn't a liar. You just have to understand the context of said verses. And the context is, if you are oriented to him, if you are abiding in him, you're only going to ask for things that bring glory to him. Not things that bring glory to you. Not so you can call up mom and dad and say, aren't you proud of me? Or call up your friends and aren't you jealous? Or call up your, your enemies and go, huh, remember how you treated me in high school? Look at me now. <laughs> what a moron. What a jackass. What a slave. You're still living in high school? What a slave. Think about that. You are enslaved to the thing you claim to be delivered from. Ow! Still a slave. Mm. When you receive the ultimate prize of peace and the rest of the world sees it, the Lord is glorified. Trust me, you know, when you're, when you're an avatar, when you're trying to prove to the world that you've just got it going on, the world knows better. They know you're an insecure little person. Deep down, you're insecure. You don't have any peace, which is why you've got a trumpet, and you're constantly tooting your own home. Look what I have now. Right? Everybody knows. Everybody knows you're just an insecure little person, blowing your own trumpet, showing up and get you know the the the, the music blasting and you know the, the the fancy clothes and the jewelry and the and the, the the fake tans and the fake teeth and the fake. Sorry, folks who have dentures, right? You don't get that right. And the fake everything, you're just fake. The avatar on Facebook and on Instagram and the woo. Everybody knows you're a slave. Even slaves know other slaves. And God's going, you don't bring any glory to me when you're acting like that. You're no different than the rest of the slaves. Last time I checked, I sent my son to purchase you out of the slave market of sin. And you're still in it, acting like a slave. That's not peace. That's not 
witnessing. The world knows you don't have that peace you talk about. I don't care if you've got it tattooed on your arm under a cross. You don't have it. That's just you trying to convince yourself you have it. You don't get it until you're in the sphere of God, until you orient to his mind, until you abide in his word. Some of you, I can't even get some of you to read the blogs. I can't even get, obviously, some of you to show up. I'm one of his mouthpieces. I'm called an under-shepherd for a reason. To gather you dumb sheep into a single room a couple hours a week and people can't show up faithfully? Are you serious? Yeah. Why? Slaves. Slaves. Everyone in here is a slave somehow to something. Right? And I'm not trying to be harsh on a Sunday morning. I'm trying to draw out the truth. I'm trying to get you excited about having the opportunity to be sanctified. To actually see the truth clearly and say, oh, a light bulb goes off. Oh, I finally get it. I finally get it. Today's that time. Today's that moment where things might change. Could be a year from now. Could have already happened for some of you. I don't know. But this is the vessel he uses as part of your sanctification to wake you the hell up. To say, get off the train. When you receive the ultimate prize of peace and the rest of the world sees it, the Lord is glorified. That's what an economy looks like. It goes round and round. I mean, I just spent, what, jeez, good half an hour describing God's economy. That's what it looks like. There's no escaping the truth of it. There's no dabbling in it. Right? I want to show you an, an actual example. Uh, there's many, many of these examples in the Bible. Um, of where a person goes, literally, goes boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. And it's awesome. Exodus 33, 7. Go to Exodus 33, 7. Poor Moses. I think of Moses. This, this guy. Mm. This guy lived a tortured life. It's unbelievable. The people he was leading were just Awful. But he had such a heart for them. You understand? He had such a heart. And he would go boldly to God. You're going to see it in a moment. You're like, whoa, geez, that seems kind of almost audacious a little bit. And it's not. Not if you're oriented to God. Because when, you're, when you go boldly to the throne of grace, you're actually calling upon God's own integrity. And so you, you can adopt the strength of the argument. You can adopt it for yourself and say, Lord, do this thing. He's like, you bet I can. Let's do it. I'm just waiting for you. He's not offended. He's, 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 he's happy with it. He's pleased with it. He's pleased that you've adopted that strength that you've called upon, not your own shoulders to bear the weight, his. You've called upon his shoulders. You've called upon his omnipotence. You've called upon his grace, his power, his mercy, his love. And when you do that boldly, he goes, booyah! I don't think he says that, but... You know, it's like, whoa, Eureka! 
That's what this is, this is what I'm talking about. Do you get it? Let's go to the end zone and celebrate. Woo! Nobody? Sorry. This is what you see with Moses. Who do you think he's drawing on? All right. Verse 7, before I lose my voice. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned against, or again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. Okay, here we go. You ready? He says, Hey, Lord, <laughs> see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if, again, there's the operative word, right? If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. In other words, show me. He's calling it. Show me then. You tell me to do this stuff. Show me. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. You see what he's doing? He's like, hey, you asked me to do this stuff. These are your people. They're goofy. You did this to me. You put me here. I could say the same thing in my own little microcosm. I never asked to be in this pulpit. He put me in. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> right? I didn't ask for this. Most of them, most of them, you gave me this stuff. All right, you, then you, got to, you got to do this. You have to do this. This is your problem. You have to solve this. It's good. This is good. It's exactly what you should do in your own life. Who gave you your life? He did. Whose problem is it to solve when you have problems? It's his. So you go to him boldly. Say, hey, you gave me this life, man. You asked me to do this stuff. You asked me to jump off this train. Ooh, it's 70 miles an hour. It's going to hurt. Oh, right? You asked me to do all this stuff. This is your problem. And he goes, amen. It's exactly what I've been waiting for you to say. It is my problem, and I never fail. See, if you jump out and you have a little, you know, a little tether back to the thing, you're just going to bounce on the road and drag and get injured. If you try to hold on to both like a lot of people do, you will suffer. Anyways, I hope you see what Moses is getting at. He's like, this is your problem, okay? Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So God responded. How beautiful is that? So Moses gets all, you know, whoo. Puffy, asking, straight up, you did this, you call me here, these are your people, you got to solve this problem. Okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? How shall it be known? Uh, Maybe some evidence coming in here. 
Is it not you're going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Up here on the board, sound familiar? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Moses saying, see, I need some evidence. We want to see some evidence here. We want to, show, we want, we want to be encouraged by the evidence. We want to witness to others. We are a separate people. You are our God. And he's drawing heavily on God himself, on the veracity of God's word, God's promises, God's character, God's integrity, God's justice, God's righteousness. You, you following? God's economy, the sphere of God. He's in it. That's why he can talk so boldly. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Not, it is not, it is if you're doing outside of the sphere of God, but it's perfectly in harmony with God if you do it inside the sphere of God. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, <laughs> he doesn't even stop. Moses said, Please show me your glory. <laughs> right? He's like, I want more. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Sounds like Romans 9. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Woo! Moses! Ask and you shall receive. Did God have to do that? No. But he knew Moses' heart. So do you see how bold Moses was? Yeah. Do you see how God responded to Moses' righteous requests? Do you see Moses' hearts? how it aligned with God's. This is what it means to function in God's economy. It's not lip service. We're called to actually function in God's economy. Not just say we like the idea of it or say we do it to convince ourselves or others. There's a big old if, I-F. In my notes, I have I-F-F. Because in uh, computer programming, that means if and only if. I-F-F. If and only if. This is what it means to function in God's economy. This is how God has chosen to interact with his children. And you know what? It's his sovereign right to rule this way. He says, look, I'm the one who set up the whole kit and caboodle. I'm the one who set this whole thing up. It's my economy. I get to choose. I'm the sovereign here. You want to interact with me? You want my grace? You want my peace? You want my love? Well, this is how it works. It's my grace. I give it to... He just said it, right? I give it to whom I give it. I show mercy to whom I show mercy. I give grace to who I get, show grace to. My choice. You don't get to decide. So it's a beautiful thing that he's teaching us what this economy looks like, that it's all captured right here. 
that it's clearly stated even. So the point is that we have to learn his ways because they are naturally foreign to us. We aren't magically given perfect understanding of him just because we are saved. Frankly, we're just dumb sheep that need to be trained. And since we're dumb, the training tends to be slow. Even so, God has made a promise to us in Holy Scripture that he will indeed sanctify us. Jesus in John 17, 17 said we ought to be sanctified in the truth and that the word is truth. This is what the Bible teaches. Go to Isaiah 55, verse 8. Hope you're still concentrating. I warned you. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, 8. <clears throat> we have to be trained up. Right? It's not natural for us to think this way. It's not natural for us to think that, you know, we get, we get something that we want and we call it a blessing from God. That's our natural instinct. Oh, it must be a blessing from God. Hmm. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's the first principle. Take a mental note. That's the first principle. Your ways are not my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Okay? There's a huge chasm between the two. For as, verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bright, uh, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's the second principle. The first one is, you don't know what you're doing. The second one is, my grace succeeds. My word never comes back empty-handed. Not your word. Your word comes back always empty-handed. Not mine. Okay? My will is done. Verse 12. So that's the second principle. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall, be make, uh, shall make a name for the Lord. In other words, glory be to God for grace. An everlasting sign, there's your evidence, that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. That's the final principle. So let me summarize that passage, 55, 8 to 56, verse 1. God's thoughts and actions are unnatural to us, which means we have to learn. We show up even after salvation. They're not nat we don't think the way he thinks. We have to be trained. This is why you're doing what you're doing. That's point number one. Point number two, God's word never returns empty. It always accomplishes his will. We call that grace. It always accomplishes his will. And then thirdly, we are encouraged to do our part, in other words, to do righteousness for the sake of this sanctifying process. All right. I got I to gotta close. But I want to retrace. A lot of, lot of stuff on the table. 
right? And this is probably a do-over for some of you. Some of you are like, do-over? What's that mean? I can't even spell do-over. Do-over? I got a train to catch. Let's retrace our steps from the start of this message now and see exactly what the Spirit's been getting at this morning, okay? Just sit back and relax for a moment. So we started with, it seems like ages ago, it's only been like a little over an hour. What does it mean to see God? That's how this journey started this morning. What does it mean to see God? We then noted that the Bible teaches us that others can actually see God in us as witnesses. Hebrews 12:14 said, "Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord." And the disclaimer there was, being a witness for Christ um, means that words aren't enough. So we had spent some time there. Words are not enough. If our words are all we have, then we have problems. So we have to go confidently to the throne of grace to pray for clarity, discernment, and grace itself. When we persist in seeking God says there will be fruit. When we persist in our seeking, God says there will be fruit. And after all, we must remember that we live in God's economy. We don't define how this is run. You might say, I want it to be right away. Too bad. This is God's economy. He says, persist. So we have to remember that we live in God's economy. It's not for us to define. Therefore, our naturally born ignorance, or in it, we must be trained up in the faith. We must persistently ask God with confidence for fruit that brings glory to Him in His economy. Matthew 6, 8, part B said, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So in humility... We must ask. Jesus puts that premium on persistence. Hence this point from earlier up here on the board, how sanctification works. God doesn't just give us what we need automatically. Rather, he asks us to journey through the process of figuring it out for ourselves. In doing so, we arrive at our own convictions, put away our fleshly tendency to reject his thoughts and ways, and are sanctified. So we concluded that Jesus' words are a summary of God's economy up here on the board. John 15, 7 to 8. If, and that's the operative word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given or it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And then finally, we noted Moses' practical example of this kind of persistence, of abiding in this economy, of going to the throne of grace, of finding grace in time of need, of bringing glory to God in the process. So the dynamics of God's economy was on full display in Isaiah 55, 8 to 56, 1. We summarize it this way. God's thoughts and actions are not our own. God's word never returns empty-handed. It always accomplishes his will. And number three, we are encouraged to, quote, do righteousness for the sake of sanctification. 
So again, this all comes back to the opening question, what does it mean to see God? It seems the only way we see God, listen, this is where I'll close. Yeah. This is where I'll close. It seems the only way we see God in ourselves or others or that others are able to see God in us. One word. Anybody, any takers? Close. What's the, what's the fruit? Oh, there it is. Fruit. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's right, right? Grace, love. I mean, they bear something. What do they bear? You see what I'm getting at? We, in other words, God's not religious at all in the sense of false religion where you're, you're showing fruit or you're talking a big game for the sake of being religious. He says, you will bear fruit because I am gracious, because I am love. And you know what? I really want you to know that I love you. I really want you to see evidence. I really want you to see my fingerprints all over your life. I really want you to see when I sanctify you, when you make a good decision instead of that other one you've been making for years. That's fruit. When you have peace during an election or during a pandemic, when 10 years ago you would have had none. I want you to see it. That's what I call fruit. I want you to see it. And you know what? I want others to see it in you, even unbelievers, because I want them to see Christ in you. So there's an attractiveness there. So that you're not a phony. The whole world's looking. Remember the Greek word theatron, right? It's center stage. The whole world's watching. The angels are rubbernecking, watching all this transpire in time. It's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. This, this game doesn't last forever. Now's the time. And he says, I'm going to show you fruit. And that's a beautiful, encouraging thing for you and for others. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful time to study a word here, to be set free by it, to understand your economy, your sovereignty, your grace, your mercy, and your love. Thank you for giving us peace, Father, in time. We don't deserve it, but we're so very grateful for it. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, our families, and your will be done out to a world that just needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.